0: Hello, everyone.
1: This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist. As a part of my month-long celebration in August of producing 1,000 podcasts, I'm doing a special series each week. This week, I paired with Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance, and my podcast partner on Compliance Into the Weeds to take a five-part exploration of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. This five-part series talks about where internal audit has been, where they are now, and where they may be going. I think you'll find this to be a fascinating exploration of the use of internal audit, moving from the third line of defense to literally operationalizing internal audit to help manage risk and monitor risk in a more effective way to help companies become more efficient and, at the end of the day, more Profitable. In part one, we take a look at uh, where we have been. Two, the three steps of evolution. In part three, I take a look at three specific examples. In part four, we consider the new working relationships that internal audit will have. In part five, we conclude with getting started. I hope you enjoy this series, and I think you will find it fascinating. This special series of the future of audit, compliance, and analytics, part of Compliance Into the Weeds, is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to part five of a five part podcast series that Matt Kelly, uh, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, and I have been doing on the future of audit, compliance, and analytics. Today, we're going to take it home in our concluding episode by actually uh, going back to the future about getting started. So, Matt, with that somewhat uh, Delphic uh, introduction, uh, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. All right, Tom. Let's do it. So, Matt, uh, the technology that you have been talking about over this uh, podcast series is really here today. So where does the internal audit specialist start with, and does he have to um, bring the same technology to other corporate disciplines at least to get started?
0: Um, Yeah, you know, that is probably going to be the biggest challenge for everybody as they're thinking about, okay, cool ideas, Matt and Tom, how do we do this? You're going to do this. You're going to need analytics technology, and you're going to need analytics staff. And Both of them pose some challenges. Now, there's a lot of audit programs out there already. I am not endorsing any, as I name off a few, but um, things like ACL, Teammate, uh, who probably concur, Managing Travel and Entertainment Expenses, like all of these out there, they have some analytics capability baked into them. Um, A question for you is going to be, what are the technologies I will use to pull that data out? From whatever repository it's in, and then put it into some sort of analytics tool. And there's analytics software out there as well. You can easily use Tableau. Um, you can use, even this is a dirty secret that people will say if you press them on it, you can use Excel for a lot of visualization in analytics. Now, of course, if you're using Excel to store and record risk data, I think that is a fool's errand. There are many risks around that. But if you are pulling data from a centralized repository and you know the data is sound and you put it into a visualization Tool like Excel, like Excel, you know, it's not going to do every single thing that you want, but Excel actually does a lot of what you want pretty well for most people. And then if you want to get really cutting edge, sure, you can use Tableau, you can use a few others that are out there I know of. But that's what you're going to need. You're going to need number one, a central depository of data that you are trusting, you know, it's complete, you know, it's accurate, you know, it's validated, um, and it hasn't been tampered with. Then you want some sort of ability to pull that from the repository into a visualization tool. Uh, I know some companies that have actually done their own homegrown coded applications themselves. They work great. More power to you. Some people will dump it into Excel to visualize it. If that's what works for you and you're confident that uh, all of your other Excel risks are minimal, No, no problem with that. You can use Tableau Um, and then you can get to that visualization, which is always going to be important because like I have read elsewhere, human beings process more than 90 percent of the information in your brain comes through the eyeballs. So visualization really is key. Um, Now, that said, the other big problem is a lack of staff. Because people who are really good at data analytics are never going to be unemployed unless they choose to be unemployed, and they will always be able to write their own ticket. Um, I am based in Boston here, and I know a story of one audit executive who he invested several times in training an auditor in analytics abilities and applications and then that uh, those people would waltz away from this larger company to whatever tech startup was around Boston and like time and again, he found that it was very difficult to keep data analytics staff. Uh, You might think about if you are a larger company and you have business analysts out there, they're very good at the analytics. Could you take them and pair them up with internal audit to uh, do whatever audit analysis project you want. Your internal audit people are already going to know how to audit. They're going to know the questions to ask. They're just not necessarily going to know how to get the visualization and the analytics done. Well, that's what the business analyst does. That's what somebody in an enterprise analytics function will do. You could do a tag-teamed approach like that. Um, More broadly, I know that as more audit functions worry about operational risk Uh, they find that they might wind up even doing some sort of weird three-person team where you have an auditor, an analytics person, and an operations expert. Um, One of my favorite examples comes from the Cleveland Clinic out in Ohio where the head of integrity out there says one of his favorite places to find good operational auditors is in the nursing staff because the nurses know all of the operations and then you can pair them up or you can train them with auditors and suddenly you have a great nucleus of operational knowledge and how to audit that. Uh, Likewise, I know banks that use people in the customer care center, the call center reps, because of course, they know all the company's problems. People are calling along. The audit executive at one large bank said, that is exactly who I want to bring in. And then I will work with them on audit and we'll get some analytics help, bring it all together, and you get a very good operational analysis. And you, know, you can start to build risk models that way. Um, I do think, though, that another important part here is that if a company wants to manage its risks... So it can achieve its objectives. You need to know what your business objectives are, and that can be a big assumption for a lot of large organizations out there. Um, which, what are the actual ob- objectives? Does everybody know them? Does everybody know which one is ranked number one and which one is ranked two, three, and four? Um, you know, you really need to think through. This is what we want to achieve. What are the risks that might uh, prevent us from achieving them like what are the risks and ways that achieving that would go wrong and then how do we reverse engineer what are the controls in our business process to minimize that going wrong um, and then you kind of go for it that way i think that there's a whole other school of thought we could have a debate on another day but many people say that you need to manage the risk and actually the more technical school of thought out there is it's an objective-based risk management is what you need. What are my objectives? What are the risks to achieving them? How do I reduce those risks? But all of that, the implicit assumption is the business knows what its objectives actually are and which ones are more important than others. And in my experience, that can be a big ask for a lot of companies. So you need to clarify that first. And then, as I said, I think in uh, episode two of our series here, this really still does start with good strong internal control over data it gets back to the principles that we all learned in SOX compliance about how to get complete and accurate reports and all of the data that we have for financial data that can be a big deal but even if you're worried about third parties touching your confidential information you need a complete and accurate list of how much confidential data do we have how many third parties are touching all of that data do we know that how do we actually know that you need to think all of that through and have strong internal controls around it, because without good data, you get bad data leads to um, bad controls, leads to bad data, leads to bad conclusions. And then all that we've talked about here goes out the window, because it started with the bad foundation if you ha- don't have good internal control.
1: So Matt, uh, one of the points I think I've heard you raise really throughout this five-part series seems like to me to be a great place to conclude with. And um, it really follows what I see as the evolution of compliance, where it went from a paper program to um, doing compliance, to operationalizing compliance, and uh, beyond that now. And it seems like you're really suggesting that um, internal audit compliance and a wide variety of other corporate disciplines really need to change their thinking about risk. And looking at risk as both an opportunity to harness uh, and channel, but also to uh, more nimbly and agilely uh, manage that risk going forward, not, not simply just uh, fulfilling some legal compliance. Uh, would that be an accurate assessment of where you think we're going on this?
0: Yeah, in fact, you, now that you've said it, and uh, one idea pops into my head that I think will resonate with a lot of compliance officers is Compliance officers wince at the idea of compliance as a bolt-on thing you do at the end of the business process, and then we give it a compliance check, and then we get out the door. And the compliance officers hate that because it makes it seem like corporate compliance and the compliance function is a drag at the end of the otherwise aerodynamic operation. It slows everything down. And You don't want that. You want compliance compliance embedded throughout the whole organization and smart ethical conduct all the way through. Well, very similar dynamic with internal audit, that historically internal audit would do a financial statement audit and it would be bolted on because you only do the annual audit once a year and you do it after the end of the year and you bolt it on. And we are moving beyond that because boards need more assurance On more risks and they need to know that risk is governed and assured while they need assurance that risk is governed all the way through from the start it's the same dynamic it's just we're talking about risk monitoring and internal audit as opposed to ethics and compliance and the compliance function but that's where we have to get to and we can do it because all business processes are becoming so like I said datafied that uh, you are are able to monitor them, you are able to analyze when something drifts out of the green zone and into the red zone, if you configure everything uh, correctly. And that's eventually where we will go. By 2030, I think we can probably be there. But there's no reason why, without some good thinking and good use of technology now, no reason why you couldn't start on that path right away. And I know there's already companies that are doing it today, and more power to them.
1: So, Matt, um, this has been a fascinating exploration of the future of audit compliance and analytics. And I uh, certainly think it's one thing we're both going to be able to keep our eyes on. And I hope we can come back in uh, three, six, nine, maybe 12 months and take a look at uh, where we think we might be at that time as well. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for joining us for this five-part series on exploring the future of audit compliance and analytics with Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I hope you will join us again for another episode.